Hey everyone, and welcome back to Currently Not Tripping. I'm your host, Nick, and this week we have Lee back. Lee, welcome. Feeling any hey. better? Yeah, a little better. Happy to be back. Good, good. And we're also joined by our company referee, Chris. Chris, what's good? I'm still here. <laughs> Great. Okay, so this week's episode is sponsored by Scotty G from Richland, Washington, who wants to remind listeners that you cannot drink all day if you don't start in the morning. Thanks, Scotty. <laughs> Great observation. That's just facts. All right, so today we're going to be going over some interesting things that have come up over the first two rounds of the World Cup, reviewing where each group stands and the likely outcomes for the final games. And just as an FYI, we're recording here on Tuesday after the USA game. So we know what has happened through both Group A and Group B. And go USA. Go USA. 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 <laughs> okay, so we got some interesting tidbits here before we get too far into this. And uh, Chris, why don't you take us away with a good one? Andre Onana got into an argument with the Cameroonian coach that the two could not resolve. Apparently, the argument was about style of play with the goalie refusing to change and preferring to fly back to Italy. Major disappointment for Cameroon as it is a big step down in quality from Onana to the backup. Yeah, that's crazy that you could just get into such a big fight. And I, I don't know all the details about it, but just to give up on your country at the World Cup and not be willing to do anything for it is just wild to me. Yeah, it seems almost a little familiar. Reverse this scenario and USA have a special player in Gio Reyna, who is rumored to be in a spat with the head coach, Greg Bearholter due to playing style. Greg replaying, re refusing to start Gio. He did make an appearance as a late substitute in their second game, but you hate to see it. You're denying quality one way or the other every four years, right? This only comes up only so often, so you hate to see somebody not get the opportunity. And there's so many players that would kill for that same opportunity and Absolutely. to just just leave like that. It's terrible. Yeah. But OK, on to a happier story. Canada got their first goal. It was courtesy of Alfonso Davies. However, there's a little bit of controversy um, when the coach of Canada made a remark to his team that Canada belonged here at the World Cup and was going to go F Croatia. And that bulletin board material fueled Croatia to a four to one win over Canada. And Croatian player Premerich stated after the game, I want to thank the coach of Canada for the motivation. He could have chosen better words. He could have formulated it a bit differently. In the end, Croatia demonstrated who effed whom. That's just an awesome, awesome clap back from the Croatians there. And uh, it's too bad that. The Canadian coach gave him that fuel for the fire because I, I do think he's he's been a good coach and he kind of messed this one up pretty good. Yeah, I think he's a great coach. I think this is also kind of funny if you just think about the generalization of Canada as overly nice people that this is the last coach I would think would come out and drop in the F-bomb on the other team. I thought it would go somewhere along the lines of like, uh, hey, we should go beat them Croatians uh, next round. We'll go, go give them what for. Uh, instead, it came out as uh, we're going to go them, which is a little <laughs> over the top. Yep. <laughs> All right. Next story. Uh, I think, Lee, you've got one for us, right? Yeah. You 
guys have probably seen the photos of this already, but it's um, yeah, this is from the uh, Japan fans, and they are staying after their games and they're cleaning up the stadiums when the games are done. They probably have this mindset from their culture. It's something that's pretty well known as an Asian culture to be cleanly and um, kind of respect your surroundings. So they were photographed with uh, trash bags when they were entering the stadium and they were leaving it basically the whole cheering section cleaner than it was when they got there. They're known for being some of the best fans out there anyway, and they're getting really a lot of attention for their goodwill. And um, there's even a picture that's floating around right now of the locker room after their game with Germany. And it was pretty much spotless, super clean. Like they even, you know, like folded up all their clothes and the towels and left the like little origami swans on the table kind of as a thank you. Um, pretty cool to see that great sportsmanship um, could be a contender for the fair play award at the end of this. I think it's kind of really noteworthy in one end, but also the fact that we have to bring this to attention and say, hey, here's a guy who or here's a country that cleaned up that for themselves makes news. It's, it's a little ironic to me. Um, but still a great demonstration by those guys. I think it's really, really cool. I love that. I, I wish that that could just be a normal thing that everybody did, especially because everybody, you know, condemns Qatar for all of the labor issues that they had in building these stadiums. And then some of them are still there and cleaning these stadiums. And, you know, it could go a long way if you made their life a little bit easier. OK, Chris, you want to take us through something else? Spain beat Costa Rica by seven goals, which surprisingly is only tied for the seventh largest margin of victory at a World Cup. The largest margin of victory is a three-way tie uh, between 9-0 win for Hungary over South Korea or 10-1 win Hungary over El Salvador. And finally, a 9-0 win for Yugoslavia over Zaire, which, funny enough, Neither country exists in the same way it did uh, back then. Yugoslavia broke up into multiple countries and Zaire changed their name back to the Democratic Republic of Congo. All right. That is crazy that that seven goals is only the seventh largest. You'd think that that was one of the bigger ones ever. But I guess crazy it's still uncommon. Happen. But yeah, there have been some some blowouts in the World Cup. And there has just been so many World Cup games over so many years. It's I guess it's bound to happen. Okay, so my next story, um, Welsh goalie Wayne Hennessy is the only player thus far to receive a red card. The goalie came way out from the goal to try and stop a breakaway, then completely whiffed the ball and destroyed an Iranian player. The card was given as a yellow initially, but Chris, can you walk us through the decision-making process and the referee process that ended up with the card being changed to a red card? Yeah, it is about, what's the right word, uh, intention. So his intent, right, was to uh, go for the ball. He has missed that. From the referee's point of view during the play, the goalkeeper is coming out of his goal up the left channel of the field to try and get the ball. The referee is rightly positioned uh, sort of in the middle, so he isn't actually able to catch the contact in the play. As a referee, a center referee, your initial reaction is to run straight over to a major incident like that. And in his case, issue a yellow card. That, in the least, will help boiling tensions because you can imagine uh, anybody uh, on the Iranian team just, you know, is looking for something. So referee does the right thing, comes out, shows something. He is 
receiving real-time feedback from his assistants. Obviously, one of them had a slightly better view than them. Um, they then go about reviewing it. The, the end result is studs up. You could argue from a neutral's point of view that it's studs up or uh, straight leg, which are two sort of ways that you judge uh, a yellow to a red foul. He's got, you know, his cleat basically straight out, his leg almost fully extended um, so that when you do make contact with somebody, it's not something that you can really relax when you make contact. If you have a straight leg, you're going in and it's going to hurt the other player no matter what. So reviewing some of those different factors led them to issuing what, of course, is a red card. All right. That's really interesting. And um, just for my own edification here, um, how long of a time do they have to change their decision? Yeah, that's a great question. It's pretty ambiguous. They always try and make it as fast as possible. They're still working with technology. They don't necessarily have a time limit that they have to adhere to. Some of these plays require conversation with other officials. That's why you have a team. Some of them are much more straightforward. I've seen referees go up and review the TV or the monitor on the side for their purposes, take a glance at it for a second and just walk back and, and you know, administer uh, your foul of choice. Some cases, it's, yeah, it's just much more complicated. There are a lot of complexities to some of these calls that they have to think about. Fascinating thing, it was never like this in the past. You know, I, I'd like to see in the next 10 years a smarter ap- adaptation of technology that doesn't take nearly as much time as some of the instances we've seen in this World Cup, back to when it was forced for a referee to make a snap decision. There's a happy medium I would like to think exists. To answer your question directly, they're doing the best they can, you know, with the tools given to them. It's not like there's a timer going behind their ear saying, oh, five minutes is up. You can't do this anymore. <laughs> you have to make a decision. Um, that would be a little silly. But again, some of these calls have just gone on for much, much too long. OK. And one quick follow up to that. Since a red card is an ejection from the game, can you walk back? So if let's say he'd shown the red card immediately and then looked at, you know, the video assistant referee looked at it and was just like, that's not a red card. You can walk that back to a yellow. Yes, absolutely. I've seen it happen, not in this World Cup, but in other high-level tournaments. Referees are using their best judgment. Again, in the past, you issue a red, you don't have the opportunity to review something on a monitor or replay or, frankly, have somebody up in a booth that is also in your ear talking to you about some of these things that you won't always be able to see. That is the big benefit of technology is the accuracy, right? So there have been times when people will issue a red card, not even a red card, right? Some people will make decisions about a penalty. Referee might be too far away to see that the foul was outside of the box rather than in. So you can walk calls back just like you would uh, a red to a yellow card, penalty to a non-penalty either way. So uh, that ability for a referee nowadays is fantastic. I love the accuracy of of the game as it is now. That's great that they can do that. That's got to be a little, uh, a little tough because nobody loves to admit when they've made a mistake or anything like that. So that's good that they can. But Yeah, I would say that having experienced some high-level games before at that level of refereeing, all of the referees typically have the best attitudes at that level. Nobody is ever going to run into a game thinking that they're God, for want of a better term. The uh, great example you know, that I can think of, and this is back to the documentary I keep referencing where these 
all these referees were mic'd up from the Euros is they don't have VAR at this point in this documentary. And one of the referees makes a call and a Polish player runs up or a Greek player runs up uh, during this tournament and argues with him after the game. And the referee's response is the right one. He just says, I'm not God. I also make mistakes. Right. And that's a matter of, of fact. Right. Referees, as much as they are trained and do their best, can never capture everything all the time. It's impossible. The same way a player makes a mistake on the field, a referee also mistakes on the field. And, you know, it, the thing is, is that the referee has a much better opportunity to make a long lasting impact on the game than a player uh, most often. Excellent. And so just to bring this all the way full circle here, I did say that Wayne Hennessy was the only player who received a red card. And there was another red card given, but it was to a coach, Paolo Bento, the coach of South Korea. And he was given a red card at the end of his most recent game for screaming at the referee. It's because South Korea had a corner kick. They needed to score. And he blew the whistle right before the corner kick could take place. And so he was very upset, screaming at the referee, got a red card. And so he'll be suspended for South Korea's winner go home final group stage game against Portugal on Friday. From a refereeing point of view, this is only the second World Cup where you can actually issue coaches red cards. It used to be the referee just ejected them from the game. If frankly, there was little to no difference. The governing body of the refereeing of, of referees would make the decision on how many games a coach may or may not be suspended afterwards. So it was a little subjective, but now coaches are treated the same way as players. And I kind of like that. You have to hold yourself to a standard. Of course, you want your coach speaking on behalf of the team, but uh, I think uh, Paulo took it a little too far in this case. And another little fun fact about Paulo, he also got a yellow card at the end of the Uruguay-South Korea game. So he is the most carded person at the entire tournament right now. <laughs> All right. So we got some uh, statistics next. Lee, can you take us through those? Yeah, sure. So, so far, the most watched game of the tournament is uh, Argentina versus Mexico. Obviously, those are two very passionate fan bases. Um, 88,966 people were there in attendance. And uh, on the flip side, the lowest attended game so far is Switzerland versus Cameroon. And about half of the people showed up for that one. So 39,089 fans. There's also a few uh, scoring facts that are pretty interesting so far. So there are three teams left uh, that are still yet to score a goal in the World Cup. So those are Mexico, Tunisia, and Uruguay. Last one really surprises me. There are three teams that have yet to be scored upon, so a goal against. So that's Morocco, Poland, and Brazil. Hopefully they won all those games. And uh, the youngest goal scorer was Gavi for Spain, who at the time of his goal was 18 years and 109 days old. And the oldest goal scorer so far is none other than Ronaldo. Uh, for Portugal, and he scored at the tender age of 37 years and 292 days. So good on him. Actually, almost twice as old as Gavi. Maybe more. Yeah, more. Age is just a number. No big deal. <laughs> That's pretty crazy. Um, I do know that there are a few older players than Cristiano Ronaldo at this tournament. I, I believe that there's one person on Canada that's 40. I'd have to double check, but it it's fascinating that 
they can still be doing it at that age, which is really the twilight of soccer careers. A couple other fun facts I want to throw in there. The USA set a record for viewership. So not in the stadium, but outside of the stadium watching virtually with 15.4 million viewers uh, through Fox, where we're all watching it here. So go USA. That's awesome. Viewership, I don't believe, is out from the game today. I'd be curious if that's higher or lower, um, if not comparable. Um, The second is uh, another USA stat. We have the youngest captain at the tournament. So Tyler Adams is officially the USA's captain. Um, He's 23 years old, which is incredible. Also, if you had not had the opportunity, his response to a very politically charged question by an Iranian um, newscaster uh, during a pre-match press conference is incredibly well handled. It's pretty much a gotcha question talking about race in the USA, racism specifically. Tyler Adams is a diplomat in another life. <laughs> he is incredibly mature for his age. He's been one of the stars for the USA team. Um, and I'm very, very proud to be able to call him my captain. Totally agreed. And then if anybody hasn't heard that interview, just Google it. Tyler Adams interview and it'll pop up because it's been gaining a ton of traction and it is it's worth the worth the listen. He does an amazing job and I'm so impressed. And to remember that he's only 23 is just insane. Yeah. Okay. So some top goal scorers so far. We actually have a four-way tie at the top. We have three goals apiece for Ener Valencia of Ecuador, Kylian Mbappe of France, Marcus Rashford of England, and Cody Gakpo of the Netherlands. Many players are tied with two goals scored so far, including Lionel Messi of Argentina, Richarlison of Brazil, who might have the goal of the tournament so far and Giroud from France, amongst others. And there's not an award for this, but Harry Kane of England has the most assists with three so far. Okay, I think we're ready for the group rundown now. Chris, why don't you take us through what's going on in Group A? Yeah, so I was just looking back at my predictions. I actually predicted both of the teams to come out, but in the incorrect order. Uh, Netherlands, we can officially say this now for the uh, first two groups, Group A and Group B based on the time that we're talking about this. Netherlands has won the group, and Senegal defeated Ecuador in a pretty spicy game, dramatic fashion, on the last day to sneak into second place. That was a great game to watch. Ecuador and Qatar were sent packing, with Qatar picking up not a single point. No surprises there. I had predicted Senegal in front, Netherlands in second. I may have been proved right. We'll never know if Sadio Mane was a part of this tournament. He's always somebody that can turn a game on its head. But also, uh, do credit to Senegal for making it out of the group without Sadio Mane. That speaks a lot to their team. I'm very happy to see them advance. Excellent. Great rundown, Chris. Thank you. Uh, I'll take us through Group B now. So essentially what's happened here is England dominated Wales and finished top of the group. And the USA beat Iran in a wildly tense game to come in second in the group. Iran came in third and Wales heads home with one point. The USA played really great and I had a heart attack and I was exhausted after that game because I was tense the whole time. I would have loved to have won by more than one goal just so I could have had an easier time watching this thing. But uh, it, it was tense all the way through and... I think our team played very well. Our coach made some questionable substitutions at the end of the game. 
that didn't quite work out for us, but I think we did really well. And one of our leaders, Christian Pulisic, scored an amazing goal. And I'm not exactly sure what happened, but he looks like he took a cleat to the crotch and had to go to the hospital for it. He's posted that uh, he's day-to-day and should be fine, but uh, did not look good for him. Yeah, I would say in summary of this group, England looked better than I anticipated. Wales left a lot to be desired. Wayne Hennessy did not help their chances by any means with the only player red card. Iran, or Iran, excuse me, I believe, played better than I anticipated, still weren't able to come out on top. USA has not looked spectacular, but from game to game, they've been getting better and better. So hopefully that's a sign that when it comes to the round of 16, when we play the Netherlands, we're stepping on the gas a little bit to Nick's point. I would like to see two, three goals from us at some point. We're going to need it playing the Netherlands. They have a stout defense. And uh, we all question where the goals were going to come from in Netherlands. That was my point of context. It's somebody that Nick pointed out as a potential for a young player of the tournament in Cody Gakpo. He has scored in one goal in all three games. He's looked incredible, even on and off the ball, minus the goal scoring. Really, really talented young player. It's going to be interesting to see what happens to him after this tournament. I saw a tweet that after his latest goal, his value went up $20 million. <laughs> I mean, it was just one person chatting, but uh, <laughs> it might be serious. Oh, that is absolutely right. There's going to be a window of time where you're going to have four or five clubs bidding for him, and they're going to be all within a very high range. Uh, Whether he moves or not uh, depends on if that valuation stays that high, but he's got some serious opportunity in front of him. Good for him. He deserves it. All right, so those are the two groups that we already know how they finished. Lee, can you give us a quick update on how we're doing or how you're doing on the predictions? Oh, I'm perfect. We already know how the rest of the, the game is going to play out, so I'm, I'm not worried about it at all. Can you remind not, the people who you <laughs> chose to win? I am not worried at all about my pick to win making it out of the group stage. Not even remotely close. I will say that for Group B, I am very happy to admit that I got my prediction wrong. I predicted England first, Wales second. And I said this on the episode that I would be very happy if I was wrong. So happy. (laughs) So happy that I was wrong. Seeing USA break out of the group stage is amazing. I can't wait to see what they do in the round of 16. Okay, so that takes us to the groups that still need to play their final game. So in Group C, we have Poland currently in the lead with four points, followed by Argentina and Saudi Arabia tied on three points, with Mexico lagging behind on one point. Saudi Arabia actually upset Argentina in what is might be one of the two biggest upsets. It's probably the biggest upset, in all honesty, of the entire tournament. Upsetting favorite Argentina. It was a it was a surprise one. It happened at 5 a.m. our time, so I don't think a lot of people watched it, but um, incredible. <laughs> Very happy for the Saudi players that uh, were able to accomplish that. Good for them. Yeah, this is a super spicy group. It's going to be super fascinating to see how this plays out. Uh, Mexico has not played to their, I would believe, the standard they hold themselves to. Uh, The fact that they haven't scored yet is one of the irregularities. I would have expected them to score at least one goal in these two matches they've played so far. 
That being said, like Saudi Arabia have been looking great. If they have the ability to beat Mexico, it's going to be interesting to see how Argentina and Poland plays out. There's the, high, you know, a pretty high potential that Argentina doesn't make it out of this group stage. So in the final games, we have Argentina taking on Poland and Saudi Arabia have their do or die match with Mexico. So, Lee, I know you've pulled up some statistics from 538.com and they have uh, a model with odds of making it out of this group. And what do you see on there? Yeah, so these odds are live as of, like you said, after Group B is finished. Um, it still has Argentina favored to make it out of the group stage. Argentina and Poland, actually, one and two. They're both at about a 75% chance or above to make it out. Saudi Arabia is at a 31% chance and Mexico at 16. So it's actually looking pretty strong for Argentina, even though they've kind of had a slip up early. I think they just have a pretty favorable matchup tomorrow. Mm, I don't know if I agree with that being a favorable matchup. Poland looked pretty good in their last game. Their first first game, they left a lot to be desired. But if Poland can recreate what they did uh, against Argentina tomorrow, there's a good chance this goes to a tie. That would be really fascinating. On the other hand, Argentina also looked a lot better in their second game. If they can recreate that form... Poland are going to have a really hard time to walk away with a single point from that game. That's kind of what I'm assuming for based on how highly they have Argentina ranked right now. It's just the first game was clearly a fluke. Their, you know, their true form is more like their last game. Yeah, um, yep, I think that's right. You know, the other thing to think about, too, is that what USA had a 38 percent chance to go through um, out of the group stage and we took it. Uh, Saudi Arabia could absolutely do the same thing here. And chances are, when you're listening to this, this game has already happened. So we'll see what happens. But you already know. Okay, let's move on to Group D. Chris, take us through this one. France has already qualified for the knockout round with six points. My opinion, the best looking, maybe arguably against Spain uh, in all the groups or of all the teams. Uh, They still have to play their final game in the group stage. Australia is sitting in second with three points. Good for them. And Denmark and Tunisia are tied at the bottom with one point each. France will go against Tunisia, likely win, and Australia will play Denmark in what we will likely see the winner advance. Australia and Denmark is a question mark game for me. Denmark have been playing poorly. I know they can play better than this. Australia are playing better than they typically do. Uh, Kudos to them. And yeah, this I I don't really have a great prediction for this. I believe at the end of the day, my gut tells me that Australia will bring it in their last game and will go second against France in first. Ooh, that's an interesting one. The one thing that I can say with, you know, some kind of certainty here is that Tunisia's got quite the uphill climb to defeat France. For them to make it in. And I believe that they'd also need some, um, you know, goal differential tiebreakers to go in their favor as well. So I think that they're they're going to have too hard of a time. So I, I expect France and I think that Denmark's going to beat Australia, which would prove all three of our predictions correct. Lee, does the model agree with us? Yeah, it's basically a 50-50 split here. It has Denmark moving up at 51% and Australia at 45%. The remainder goes to Tunisia to somehow sneak in. Yeah, it's going to be a coin toss. It comes down to whoever wins that game is going to make it out. So that should be a fun one to watch. 
And for clarification, this is the only group where the three of us have agreed on not only the teams to advance, but the order first and second in which they advance, which is France and Denmark. All right, going to be fascinating to see. Moving on to Group E now. Our group of death has been very tight and deathy. Japan pulled off one of the biggest upsets of the entire tournament by defeating Germany, but then followed it up with a surprise loss to Costa Rica, who lost 7 to nothing to Spain. So anything can happen. And on the last day, same is true. But right now we have Spain on top with four points, Japan and Costa Rica tied with three points, and Germany lagging behind with one. However, Germany is heavily favored to beat Costa Rica, and if Spain defeats Japan, then the two favorites might be moving on regardless of the upset. This has been a really fun, fun group to watch. Uh, it's been really exciting. The outcomes have not been certainly what I anticipated. And yeah, it's Spain's going through. Germany, question mark, still in my mind. They haven't looked super convincing. Um, I've watched both of their games live. But we'll see what happens. You know, Germany of all of their showings so far have the quality on paper to blow away any team. Let's see if they actually show up. Yeah, what does the model think is going to happen? Yeah, it's it's predicting Germany at a 67% chance of making it out. I think it's th these two matchups really kind of dictate Germany's fate, really, right? So we don't really expect Spain to lose tomorrow against Japan, maybe tie at worst. Um, so it's, Germany just has to win and they're in. All right. I'm surprised that the, I guess I'm not really surprised that the model favors Germany so much. They are a good team. And if they play at their level, they should be, you know, they should be moving on. Yeah. Okay, Group F. Chris, run us through it. All right, Group F. Uh, favorite Belgium is on the back foot after a very close win against already eliminated Canada. Boohoo. And a, a loss to Morocco. Croatia and Morocco are currently leading with four points. Belgium can still make it if they can beat Croatia in the final game. Canada is on zero points and is mathematically eliminated, which is super disappointing. Still happy to see him score a goal, though. Uh, I would say that Belgium has surprised me. I have them making it into the semis myself. This is a little bit like Germany. On paper, they're fantastic. Belgium certainly aren't nearly as consistent as Germany. Um, but, oh my gosh, like on paper, they have some of the best players in the world right now. Um, the fact that their form... Also, I'll just back up for a second and say that their coach is one of the best in the world, in my opinion, as well. Um, if they can recreate their form from the last tournament in this last game, or essentially how they've played in the past three years leading up to this, they should take the game, even if it's Croatia. And Croatia have been doing well. I'm just, you know, the, the one sticking point for me out of this group is probably how poor Canada did, not to get a single point or even a tie, and how poor Belgium have done. Croatia, Morocco, I didn't have Morocco favored super highly, um, so I'm a little surprised by them. Happy for them. Croatia, they're about where I expected them to be. I saw a comment that Kevin De Bruyne of Belgium, he said something along the lines of, he thinks that Belgium missed their window in 2018 and that they're a little too old to have a realistic shot of winning the World Cup this year. And I don't know in how serious of a term he meant that, but I think it's spot on. I actually think it's spot on, too, and I also think that he didn't mean that. I think 
anytime a Belgian player gets interviewed after a game, regardless of win or loss, they're asked about their golden age, right? Which is what everybody has talked about for the past two tournaments for Belgium. I personally think they're in their prime, and I think he thinks that too. But none of the players on this team are over the hill by any means. They haven't really aged out any key players. So I think they're on the back foot. I think he said that to temper expectations, which from a publicity standpoint and a perception standpoint is the smart thing to do. It takes a little bit of the pressure off of them. Deep down inside, I'm thinking he is disappointed with their play and believes that they should be playing better. So I think it's possible that they beat Croatia and move into the knockout rounds. But Lee, what does the model think of the second highest ranked team in the world? Yeah, not looking good for them. They actually predict a 33% chance of moving on. So Morocco's actually got it locked in, essentially. They're at 91%. And then Croatia at 76%. So it's looking pretty favorable for those two. I think Belgium's going to need a lot of luck on their side to get through. Yeah, that's tough. Um, It was fascinating to see, even before this tournament, Belgium played a friendly match against Egypt. And they lost. And Egypt's not even in the tournament. (laughs) So I viewed that as Belgium testing their mettle with some players they may not normally start. Maybe that's just their current run of form, which is disappointing for them. Going to be an interesting one to watch, but it does help Croatia that all they need to do is tie. Belgium has to win, whereas Croatia has a little bit more flexibility there. Okay, I'll take us through Group G now. So Brazil's look solid and finally defeated Switzerland to get over that hurdle. They've already qualified for the next round with six points now, and they are followed by the Swiss with three points. And then Cameroon and Serbia are tied with one point after a thrilling three to three game. So if you're going to rewatch any game, go back and watch that one. Some of those goals were a ton of fun. And Serbia and Switzerland will play each other in the final game. And Cameroon has the tall task of defeating Brazil to qualify. Yeah, I've been a little surprised with Brazil that they haven't scored more than they already have. Uh, They're a serious attacking side. Neymar is a disappointment, his injury. I think the Swiss... I would have wanted them to do a little better, but this this group is pretty much playing out the way I expected it to. All right. Before we move on to Group H, what does the model think of Group G? Yeah, the model says Switzerland's moving on at 68%, Serbia at 30%, and Cameroon still alive, but 2%. Yeah, mathematically still alive, but they have to beat Brazil, who haven't allowed a single goal to this point. So even if they haven't scored enough, they're not letting any goals pass. And so they're still really, really strong. Okay, final group. Chris, tell us about Group H. Group H, Portugal has come away with two good wins and qualified for the knockout round. Ghana defeated South Korea and is in second with three points, while South Korea and Uruguay are tied on one point. Uruguay needs to defeat Ghana in order to advance, and South Korea has to play against the hot Portuguese team. I would say Portuguese, oh, excuse me, Portugal have surprised me in how they have been playing this tournament. They've been playing better than I anticipated. Uh, kudos to them. And Uruguay has just not showed up. Uh, very surprised about them. My prediction 
for this group is Uruguay coming in first and South Korea in second, with Portugal not advancing. So I may be proved seriously wrong here. Um, we'll see how it turns out. Uruguay have incredible firepower if it comes to fruition and Cavani, Suarez show up. Um, they're, you know, two top tier strikers, at least for a center, show up on their day. It's easy, right? We haven't seen that yet so far. Chris, do you think Uruguay is the biggest disappointment in the whole tournament so far? That's a great question. Yeah. Yeah, I do. I can't think of another one that springs top of mind, so I have to go with Uruguay. They, on paper, look fantastic. They're one of the best South American sides there. I don't, you know, it's one of those things I can't explain. I watched one of the two games that they played. They look like they're they're getting themselves in front of goal. It's just that that last final touch in front of goal is letting them down, which is really, really unbeknownst to them. Um, they've played and fared well in World Cups previously. So uh, it'll be interesting to see the makeup of the last game that they play. Uruguay are a very fiery, passionate footballing nation. And knowing that they're, they need to win, not only will they show up, but they're going to bring mass amounts of energy. If they make it out, I'll be surprised to see them make it out of the round of 16 just because of fatigue, frankly, unless they're able to bag three or four goals in the first half of a game and relax a little bit. They're going to be going full tilt in this last game. Lee, does the model think that Uruguay has a chance? It's 50-50 here with Uruguay and Ghana. So it's 49% on Uruguay and 42 on Ghana to, to advance. South Korea is also a 9%. Again, not totally out, but unlikely. To But to your point, Chris, it actually also says in the round of 16 that Uruguay has a 12% chance of advancing out of that. So you may be spot on if they are to advance. Might just be the end of the road based on how what it took to get to that point. Yeah, which is disappointing. Like, I want to see him do good. Um, I like a lot of their players. They're just not playing to their level right now. And I think that statistic for the the prediction probably shows that they would be punching up to get out of this group. All right. So that's our group rundown. Do either of you have any closing thoughts before we move along? USA! USA! I wish I knew whatever Germany's chant was, because I'd be doing that, but go Germany. <laughs> I really don't want to be wrong about this. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, we'll find out. So join us next time as we wrap up the rest of the group stages and preview in the knockout stages. Thanks, everybody. Bye, everyone. See ya.